Welcome to the Last Call podcast. I'm Sarah Hartman. And my name is Marissa Whitaker. We're both alcohol and other drug educators, or AOD educators for short. Our job is to approach substance use from a neutral stance based on science and public health. And we educate students to help teach them how to make healthy and informed choices. On today's episode, we are going to be covering another Myth and Fact Volume 2. So we did one last semester, and we're bringing you another one this semester. So I guess we can hop right into it. Yes, sir? Yeah, sounds great. Um, so here's the first one, Maris. Uh, fact or myth, the notches on a solo cup were designed to measure serving sizes for alcohol. I would say that's a fact. I mean, I've thought that my whole life. Is that true? Um, it's actually a myth. So what? Um, it's very interesting when we were, you know, doing some research for, for this podcast episode, um, you know, and teaching students about serving sizes. Um, I thought that this was why, you know, the lines were designed. Um, but actually it just ended up being a coincidence that the lines ended up measuring, um, out certain serving sizes or matching up to certain serving sizes of alcohol. So, um, this is not an exact science, but if, you know, you have nothing else available, you can use uh, a red solo cup to determine a pretty accurate serving sizes of alcohol. So when you're looking at a solo cup, uh, the very bottom lip, it's about one ounce. So this would be, you know, of your standard proof liquor. So that second rung uh, on a red solo cup can be about a glass of wine. So the serving size is about five ounces. Now it's important to know there are more than one um, kind of markings on a red solo cup. So depending on what you're looking at, you could end up with less than one serving. You could end up with more than one serving. So looking at the cup, the third rung from the bottom going up is the beer line. It's about 12 ounces if you have a standard, you know, 5% beer. Now I'm not talking about Natty Daddy. I'm not talking about anything with, you know, extra alcohol in it that's, you know, just your standard Bud Light, something like that. The safest way is to measure it before you start eyeballing. So it's always really interesting to talk about this. You know, you talk to students and ask how they're measuring alcohol and they'll tell you like the, the counting method. So I'm counting one, two, three, and that's one shot. And I'm like, have you ever counted to three and actually measure out how much alcohol you're pouring? Like there's a whole bunch of different things that come into play with that. So um, it's also important to know that most of the time when you've already started drinking, you're eyeballing these drinks for yourself and your friends. And in reality, you're you're ending up pouring out you know, more than what one serving size is. So if you have nothing else available, a red solo cup is a good tool to use, um, but it's not exact. And it was not made that way um, on purpose. So that one is a mesmerist. I've been wrong about that my whole life. I always thought that they were it was designed that way on purpose. So I guess guess we're all learning something today. Okay, so switching gears a little bit. Speaking of solo cups, here's our next one. So an open container does not count as long as it's in a different cup. Fact or myth? I would say fact, Maris. You know how how would a cop know what was in my cup? You know if if it wasn't the container that it came in. <laughs> like, well, you caught me off guard a little bit there, Sarah. I thought you were going to say that that was a myth. Had to keep you on your toes, Maris. Had to keep you on your toes. <laughs> well, you got me good on that one. 
Yes, that is a myth. So we covered that briefly last semester, but we just really want to reiterate what that means. An open container is truly an open container of alcohol, regardless of what it's in. Um, this has come up a lot at some outreach events that I've done, and that's why I think it's really important to go over. So whether that's the Solo Cup that we just referenced, whether that's a Poland Springs water bottle, whether it's a thermos, um, whether it's that bottle of alcohol in a paper bag, still all open container. But also counts if you're crossing the street. If you're just going a couple houses down the road to your friend's house, still open container. Or if you see a police officer or someone approaches you about an open container and then you throw the cup, open container and littering. So that can add up pretty quickly. It's interesting too, Maris, you know, I've had conversations with students who are from, you know, areas where they might see, you know, people walking down the street with a drink, you know, more crowded areas like a New York City um, type area. And to them, it's not that big of a deal to do something like this. But you have to understand that when you're coming into a smaller town like Syracuse or like Cortland, when cops see you walking down the street with a pink water bottle, you might think that you're being the smartest person in the world. Most cops know what you're doing and that's a ticket and, you know, some potential court time and fines for you. College town, Saturday night, a group of six people walking together, all carrying solo cups. Doesn't take some serious detective work to figure out that there could perhaps be alcohol in there. Also note that it's illegal to drink alcohol in any vehicle, regardless of if you're the driver or not. So open container in a car also counts. This is applicable, too, to cannabis, so you can't be a passenger in the car using cannabis, can't be a passenger in the car drinking alcohol. So, you know, open container, open blunt, same thing, can't be doing it in a car either. So um, here's here's one that I've heard quite a bit. Um, is it a fact or a myth that anxiety can be a hangover symptom? Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of this too, and it's, you know, new research. So let's let's go with fact. Um, so we can go down the neurotransmitter route and talking about like GABA and its involvement in brain functions like motor control, memory, stress, and then how alcohol impacts these functions. Um, we can talk about serotonin and its impact on mood, um, but I'm going to read the room on this one and let's just, you know, talk bigger picture with some of this stuff. So like I said a second ago, the concept of having like anxiety is is relatively new research, and I didn't find a ton in the way of peer-reviewed articles. There's a, an abundance of anecdotal and self-reported evidence uh, about having, you know, that anxiety. But there was a really cool study done out of the University of London. They found that increased anxiety was observed during hangover amongst those scoring more highly on a shyness scale. They also found that anxiety effect uh, observed suggests that highly shy individuals might be at increased risk for alcohol use disorder. Another huge disclaimer here, that does not mean that if you're a shy person, you're going to develop alcohol use disorder. So this is, you know, there may be correlations, but they're not causations with this. It is worth exploring a little bit, like I said, of the bigger picture of the links between alcohol use disorder and then that's potential overlap with social anxiety. So yeah, Maris, it definitely makes sense. Those, you know, who use alcohol as a social buffer, you know, could potentially develop problematic use. You know, if you need multiple drinks before you can even approach a person, you know, those feelings of anxiety, I think absolutely makes sense. So, you know, what does that look like for you? Maybe that means cutting back a couple drinks, 
you know, not drinking as much as you did, um, thinking about, you know, what causes you to be shy in the first place, or maybe it's going out with people that you know that you can trust and that you know that you can have fun with um, without needing to, to consume a significant amount of alcohol. So um, it, it can absolutely be, be hard to put yourself out there, but if you're using alcohol as a crutch, to talk to someone or to get to know people, this isn't sustainable long-term. Yeah. And I'm glad that you bring that stuff up because yeah, there's the physiological stuff of what your body's doing, you know, recovering from drinking too much, but then there's also like the, the social side of things. So, you know, aside of from your body, what did I do last night? Did I black out? I can't remember. Like I also left my credit card at the bar. Like all of that stuff is really stressful and anxiety provoking as it is on top of what's going on within the body. So yeah. So, you know, more research needs to be done, but I would say that that's more of a fact than a myth. Absolutely. And it's also interesting too, you know, we're not going to touch a lot on this because we've talked a lot about you know mixing substances together but if you already have anxiety and you're consuming alcohol and you're on some sort of you know an anti-anxiety medicine that is only going to amplify the effects of alcohol let's throw a depressant on that that'll make it better so our last question of the day sarah is it a fact or a myth that e-cigarettes are part of a smoke-free campus Absolutely, Marissa. This is a fact. Both um, Onondaga Community College and SUNY Cortland are both entirely smoke, tobacco, and nicotine-free. So this includes e-cigarettes. So, you know, we're talking about jewels, puff bars, any type of electronic nicotine delivery system. Um, it also includes smokeless tobacco. So this is everywhere on campus, so indoor and outdoors including college-owned vehicles, any vehicle um, on campus property. So even if you think, you know, you're being slick in the parking lot, um, you're still on your, your college's campus property. So technically that's considered a smoke-free area. Um, Marissa, does this also include off-campus off events? Yeah, and so on the SUNY Cortland campus, this also includes all college-sponsored off-campus events. So keeping that in mind for Cortica 2022, if it's something that's, you know, campus-sponsored, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's on campus or not. That's still part of our tobacco policy. That's really interesting. And if you have any questions about, you know, your school's or smoke-free policies, please take a look at the website or contact your school's conduct department and they would be happy to let you know um, exactly what the policy is. Um, one thing I wanted to throw in there, Maris, is that the bottom line is, you know, we really talked about this a lot with weed, but it comes down to respect. So not everyone wants to smell your Fruity Pebble flavored vape when they're walking through the hallway of school. Um, and your professor definitely does not want to know that you're puffing on your vape and blowing it into your sleeve or your hoodie. Um, when they turn their back during class. So it's a respect thing. If, if you really, if you need to puff on your vape pen while you're sitting in class for an hour and you can't go an hour without it, that might be a good time for you to sit down and talk to someone about nicotine dependence and um, some ways that you can cut down or cut back. And in talking about dependency, that's a good segue to our next episode where we're gonna address some of the long-term implications from substance use. So it might not feel like it's a big deal right now, but what could this look like 10, 20, 30 years down the line? So that's the end of our episode today. Thanks so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye.